Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful Flathead Valley. It's Friday, August 5th. Two weekends ago, three fatalities occurred in Glacier National Park. Two were 67-year-old Brian Kennedy and 67-year-old Jack Beard, who died in a climbing accident on Dusty Star Mountain. Both were longtime climbers and members of the Glacier Mountaineering Society. The third death was a hiker visiting from Florida. These tragedies, along with a fourth hiking death earlier this year, show the risks of being in the backcountry, whether hiking, climbing, or skiing, for any level of adventurer. From natural disasters, random accidents, or simple mistakes, a day in the backcountry can take an unexpected turn very quickly. This week for the podcast, I cast around for some stories of outings in Glacier National Park that went sideways, but ended with all parties able to return home in one piece. These are the stories you always want to be able to tell if things go wrong. Everyone's okay in the end, and they're able to share their experiences, and hopefully something can be learned from them. Both of my guests today were in Glacier Park the same weekend the three tragedies occurred. Before we get to these tales, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. To find out more or join today, visit Beacon Editors Club. Uh, my name is Colton Bourne. Well, Colton, you have a lot of experience in the backcountry, especially in Glacier. You've gone on several expeditions uh, with several shared friends of ours. And you were also out in Glacier this same weekend with a pretty large objective with one of your buddies, and things did not go as as planned as things often do in the backcountry. Can you talk us through what you guys were planning on doing and and how you thought it was going to go beforehand? Yeah, so uh, my friend Cody Moore, or our mutual friend Cody Moore and I, we went out on Friday, uh, the same weekend. I started at a little bit before five. You climb Mount Simpson Mm. down in the Nyack. Pretty big peak. uh, Doing it uh, in a day. It's kind of the style that we were interested in. And, you know, I don't know. Like, we're we're both pretty quick, pretty pretty fit, I'd say. And had a mindset to move quickly. And figured we could get it all done in around, like, 15, 16 hours. Which, long day. But, like, not, like... (laughs) Not like, ah, crap, we're out here all day, day. Yeah, still still feasible to, to pull off when exactly. you're thinking about it. Yeah, it felt a little bit more digestible to be like, oh, yeah, like, I'll be home by midnight, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah, I mean, like, in the morning, like, things were clicking good. We left at a two-med. Um, you know, we were planning on the day being about 40 miles, about 10,000 feet of climbing. But, yeah, pretty much dropping over into the Nyack, we discovered that the Nyack man, like it's been said, the Nyack is where dreams go to die. <laughs> I think that that's where souls go to get a foretaste of hell. It's like really bad. Like the trails are just terrible. So, I mean, yeah, some trails are are better than others, but it's mostly just a bushwhack. So mm-hmm. whatever running we were planning on doing quickly went out the window and it was pretty much just like swimming through 
all sorts of stuff. Yeah, all stories from that area of the park are pretty pretty heinous when you hear about approaching summer or winter. People trying to ski in can't do it quickly. People trying to run in can't do it quickly. People hiking definitely don't do it quickly. Yeah, we were we were uh, rolling through the Nyack, definitely a little bit behind schedule, but you know we were still feeling pretty good. Got up into the Alpine. That's when we were able to make up some time, but still summited a little later than we wanted. We had to slow down because we were worried about some weather. We ended up still being able to summit, which is you know obviously amazing, and do it safely and still make good decisions. And then we took a different route uh, off the mountain, which is there's not a lot of bait on, and we knew it. We know it goes, but we didn't know how well or how quickly. So, you know, naturally that went a lot slower than planned. And when so, you're already planning for like a 14, 15 hour day, yeah. if you start adding up little tiny 30 mm-hmm. minute delays here and there, very quickly runs over time. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I think too, like, you can only get away with so many unknowns. At a certain point, it's just luck, mm-hmm. you know, like you can get lucky and the trails are really good and there's no bushwhacking and the traverse works out and the weather's fine. And it's like all these little intangibles or what happens most often is this little thing goes wrong, which leads to this other little thing going wrong. And usually like 90% of the time that's pretty innocuous, but like every once in a while it's like, Oh crap. Like the right concoction of things goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And then you're like Cody and I, which we turned out fine. Yeah. I'm here. You know, we still ended up getting off of the mountain pretty late, you know, around like seven or eight. We were pretty worked, dehydrated. I ended up dropping my water filter (laughs) into the Nyack Creek, which is just another confirmation that Nyack is like (laughs) legitimately where demons call home. I was so mad. And uh, Cody's backup filter, of course, uh, didn't work properly. So, you know, it's just like, cascading effects and now we're dehydrated when you can't drink you can't really eat mm-hmm. when you can't eat you run out of energy <laughs> for me that kind of led to some just like stomach problems and ultimately i uh was not really able to run the final we found out like 15 miles out Oof. um so what turned into like what should have been like a handful of hours you know a few hours ended up being like more than that <laughs> like six hours because uh, i had to pull over a few times and, you know, puke out whatever little bit of sustenance was in my body. So, I mean, we ended up getting up to two med, uh, cup and pass at around midnight, mm. you know, which by then we were planning on being at home in bed. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a kick in the, in the pants and then hiking out. I've never had the experience of like wanting to sleep while walking <laughs> But like legitimately, I'm like, I'm like trying to fight to keep my eyes open, just like walking. And I was like, man, this sucks. Like, and Cody, Cody is so supportive. He's just a great, great guy to be out. You know what I mean? Like he's the bomb and he's like, all right, man, it's just like one foot in front of the other. And he was in better shape than me, but obviously wasn't loving being out at 2 a.m. either. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you, you tack on, you know, eight, nine hours on, on what you think that you just end Mm -hmm. up in some low spots and you're not thinking straight and trying to keep going. Totally. And I mean, like, that's where we were fortunate. We didn't put ourselves, in my opinion, into a sketchy scenario. Mm -hmm. We put ourselves into a miserable scenario, (laughs) you know, where it was like, to get out of here is just going to suck. And it's yeah. going to suck for a long time. And nobody's 
nobody would ever want that. But I felt fortunate to where it was like, I never was, we never were scared, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was never a moment where it was like, oh man, I'm panicked or I'm worried. It was like, man, this is going to suck. But like, we both know what we need to do to get out of here. So I guess in that way, like I felt fortunate. So it's like, this could be a lot worse. You know, at at the end of the day, it was just like a pretty big inconvenience. Yeah. If anything. And like you said, so much of it is luck. If you, if you Mm -hmm. hadn't dropped a water filter, the backup hadn't worked, that would have drastically changed the outcome. If if your descent off the mountain had been a little easier out finding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just like all those little, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm -hmm. I think the moment that the shoe dropped was when we were starting to go back up Cutbank Pass and Cuddy was like, oh, it's 10 o'clock. Shit. <laughs> like, we, we have a long way to go. Yeah. You know, and it was like, ah, cool. You know, um, the other side of it though, you know, you, you can dwell on that and it's like, yeah, that's not fun. Um, and it makes you not want to do that kind of thing ever again for about, you know, two days. <laughs> um. But I mean, one thing Cody and I talked about like at 1am as we were hiking out is like, man, this is like what adventure is, you know, it's like, if you knew how it was going to go, if you wanted to have people cheering you on every mile, you'd run a road marathon. You know, if you, if you, if you wanted it to be a certain way, like you wouldn't do that kind of thing. But like something that him and I both value is that feeling of like stretching yourself and you kind of have to have intangibles. You have to have question marks Mm -hmm. uh we were saying like adventure is equal parts exploration and uh the unknown and that's just kind of part of it if you want that to be part of your life you kind of have to welcome those you know i'm going to say risks in our scenario didn't feel too risky but you just you kind of do and you guys got back in one piece one very very tired piece but we got you back in one piece (laughs) one piece my stomach might have been in multiple pieces. I don't know. It's better now. But yeah, I mean, we've never been more grateful to see that bridge out of two men before in my life. So, Well, it's good to hear a story that comes out even even though it's long and, and has a lot of suffering in it. You guys did come out in one piece, which is always the goal when people go hiking anywhere, backcountry, front country. But thanks for sharing that. I know you've got some big stuff on deck coming up. So we might be talking to you again soon. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, Colton. Thanks, Michael. My name's Pete, and I lived in the Valley for 12 years, and I'm a father, husband, physician, and in any spare time that I have left over from those things, I enjoy mountain pursuits and trying to trying to do big days up in the mountains and enjoy sleeping in my bed at night so i try to uh i figure if i can do long days in the mountains and sleep in uh, that i enjoy that more than than sleeping on sleeping on hard floor uh, and not sleeping at all so so that's a little bit about me I def I definitely feel that one. I, I, I think the, the bigger days and getting back to a bed is, is definitely nice. I've grown I've grown soft in that <laughs> way. Like it, when I was in college it was all about backpacking and and being out uh, for multiple nights on the ground and I still do that, but it the sleeping on the ground is becoming uh, progressively less appealing the older I get. <laughs> Well, this this particular uh, day that we're gonna talk about, you you did have to spend a night out on the ground.
This was about two weeks ago, um, the same weekend as, as a gripping tragedy on, on Dusty Star. You were out with a friend of ours, actually, Flathead Beacon Managing Editor Tristan Scott on a nearby mountain. Uh, and I, I had heard some of the rough plans you guys had. And then uh, the next thing I, I really heard was showing up to work on a Monday morning and hearing that uh, a helicopter had uh, brought you guys off of a mountain, I believe unwillingly in the case of, of Mr. Scott. Right. <laughs> I would like to hear... So have you fill in some of those gaps. And I guess start with, you know, what, what were your plans? You, you talk about wanting to do big days in the mountains. What, what was your goal for this one? Yeah, so we, so we had a big day lined up with knowing that with big days, you have to have some backup plans in mind because whenever you're obviously exposing yourself to a big, long day in the mountains, uh, it doesn't take much to derail those plans. So everything kind of needs to go perfectly. And when it doesn't, yeah, certainly need to have have backup plans. So our initial plan was to do the Norris Traverse, which is a pretty classic high traverse in the park. That's pretty popular, especially for especially for local people who are who have been exploring in the national park for for a while. And then to link that across to almost the Dog Pass. And then to hopefully summit almost a dog and a little chief and a couple other peaks on our way out along the ridge line from that borders Lake St. Mary. And it was going to be about a 45 mile day. So we were very aware that everything needed to go smoothly in order to make all of those objectives, which is why we had a couple of backups in mind should should it not go that way? Mm-hmm. So that was our that was our initial plans. So obviously a big day, um, and we knew everything needed needed to go well. Well, with such a, a big day like that, all the decisions you make end up being kind of crucial, including you know the basics of what do you bring? Are we bringing you know more gear to cover all of our bases? Are we bringing maybe less gear, trying to move fast to make sure we can get through it? Starting at the very beginning, you know, leaving your car, grabbing the last stuff. Are there things right there looking back that you're like, oh, you know, maybe things could have gone differently if I had grabbed one last thing out of the car? Or was there a series of, you know, once you were out on the trail, things just started adding up? Yeah, no, I mean, I think obviously snow travel gear was, (laughs) uh, was the crux of it. We had talked to some other mutual friends that sounded like they had been up in the Alpine on a different route two days before and had reported no particular snow issues with their route. I mean, obviously we knew, we knew in general that snow conditions were still high uh, up, uh, up in the Alpine, but we had also, like I said, talked, talked to our other friends that their route that they chose uh, on a different mountain was relatively snow free or there, at least where they could negotiate the snow fields with minimal consequence so so we we took that to heart and we were and we debated back and forth whether or not to to bring snow travel gear and obviously in, in retrospect that would have been a pretty a pretty clutch uh decision <laughs> had we had we just had we elected to take snow travel gear crampons and and an ice axe but we didn't that kind of was a pretty key piece for our day as far as other equipment, I mean, I think uh, I think we were both pretty good on calories. Um, so I think we had we had enough food, we had enough water. We intentionally, and I'll speak for myself on this because I guess we didn't really go into it too much. 
did not necessarily bring stuff to spend the night. And for me, for me, that was a conscious decision. When I go out on big days, I mean, I know that there's always this risk of if something goes wrong, you twist an ankle, you get off route. There's a possibility that you do have to spend the night out in the cold. Um, I guess for me, knowing where we are in the year and the general temperatures, I knew that even without a lot of uh, overnight gear, I knew that a night out would mean being cold and, and being at least moderately uncomfortable. But I didn't, for, I didn't perceive that as being physically in danger temperature-wise. Now, if we were going on a long day in September or October, obviously my calculus would have been would have been different, and I probably would have been more. I'd like to at least think that I would have been more likely to grab those extra layers for the potential scenario of having to be out if things didn't go well. So at least the the responsible part of me likes likes to think I would have made that choice, and think I, I think I would have. I mean, I know that you know when we go out in the winter, we're certainly more more mindful of that. Give me a a little bit of the overview of the day. I mean, you're tackling a. 45 mile route weather conditions were, were pretty good for you guys it was uh, yeah pretty yeah nice weather con- and- yeah weather conditions were great we got going you know maybe a half hour later than what we wanted to but we slept we had a good night's sleep at two med and so got up and got going got on the trail and we were making pretty good time all the way through the run from uh saint mary up past uh red eagle and up to uh, Triple Divide Pass, everything was going pretty swimmingly through there. Um, we were moving moving efficiently, uh, and then even even the Norris Traverse went smoothly. Climb up Triple Divide Peak and Norris Peak, everything was moving. W- we were moving well through the through the terrain and pretty efficiently through there. So we were pretty pleased with things at that point. For people who haven't been up there, I mean, I've seen the photos. Absolutely beautiful area. Yeah, it's a, it's it's just it's a really impressive ridge line. Yeah, you're just on a high ridge, just moving along the ridge line with expansive views in both directions, mm-hmm. both down to Red Eagle Lake and the the drainage along that direction, but then also looking over into Stimson and the Nyack drainage on the other side, being up and moving along a high a high ridge line with, without a lot of technical things to negotiate along the way, so you're able to really just enjoy being up and moving and taking in the the beauty of the surroundings. Sounded like, and it looked like from looking at your GPS tracks that you were moving pretty well all the way until you got close to to Mount Logan. Then it seemed like it got pretty late pretty quickly. Uh, What was going on over there? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think having been through the Norris Traverse before and through the Red Eagle Glacier Basin, we made the decision not to attack almost the dog pass from Red Eagle Glacier Basin. And so we we're up above Red Eagle Pass looking in that direction. And the entrance into almost the dog pass at, at that spot is this little kind of keyhole in the cliff bands. And when we were looking across to the far side from just above Red Eagle Pass over to almost the dog pass and all the snow that was in there, our concern at that point was that uh, without snow travel gear, that we weren't going to be able to get safely up into that passageway through the mm-hmm. cliff bands because that was protected by a, a steep snow field. So that was that was the decision that kind of set us on a different trajectory there through the basically the backside of Logan Peak. 
And that's where we had a couple things there that certainly started to set us back on time. Um, When we were down near Red Eagle Pass, there was a sow grizzly and her cub that we had to just negotiate around. Um, (laughs) Just giving them wide berth and giving them wide berth meant traipsing through thick alder and and nasty bushwhack. And that just, it wasn't, again, not terrible, but just another thing to kind of slow, slow us down quite a bit. And then we traversed around the backside of Clyde pretty well. And then the, the time came for us to try and get up on top of Mount Logan. And that's where, that's where things started to really add up as far as getting, uh, being behind on a, on a time schedule. We were off route at this point and trying to find our way up to the top of Mount Logan. And that just, that took a while. Um, we were climbing some stuff that was a little bit more exposed than what we wanted it to be. Uh, and so we were really just kind of taking our time trying to be safe, but also aware of the time and knew that it was getting late later in the day and trying to get to the top of Mount Logan, because then we uh, presumed at that point that we'd be able to find a way down into the Jackson Blackfoot Glacier Basin. Time gets later and, and you start to realize things aren't going your way. We're going to be out here for a while. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like decision-wise realizing, hey, you know, I, I told my wife and, and my friends that this was kind of our plan. We're getting close to the edge of that. How do you start negotiating a, like, you know, oh, when do we need to like send a message out and say, hey, we're okay, but we're very much going to blow our initial timeline and, and how that starts to play into your decision-making? I mean, at that point, I think we felt we were still able to get home, but knew it was going to be late. So I don't think we were quite ready to call out quite yet. Although we had the inReach with us and probably the message that I send out most frequently on my inReach when I use it is running a little bit behind. We're safe. Don't worry. I mean, yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's my number one message that I send out on that, on that device. Yeah. But, the best one to be sending out for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that one. And then Jenny really likes it when I also send i I'm back to my car. I'll call you when I get back into cell <laughs> service. That's a good one too. So we were still feeling confident at that point. I mean, headlamps were fully charged. We knew that we'd be out for a long time, but if we could just kind of pick our way through the Jackson Blackfoot Glacier Basin and get back to trail. I mean, we can travel trail in the dark. It's not ideal, but we knew, but we felt pretty, pretty comfortable in our ability to do that. Uh, so then the, at this point, we just had to figure out how to get down into the Jackson Blackfoot Glacier Basin. That turned to be quite a bit of a challenge. And this is certainly where having snow travel equipment would have changed the whole trajectory from this point forward, right? Because mm-hmm. as the snow melts, there's a scree field that you can descend between the between the snow field and the cliffs. But the snow being, again, significantly high still from a cool, wet spring, there was not an obvious path or there was not an obvious section between snow or cliffs, or at least mm-hmm. what we could initially see. And so we started to try and make our way down to try and find a way between cliff bands and snowfield. That's something that we could get down into the basin safely. And that was where we spent the next several hours. I mean, as, as you're, as you're aware, I mean, generally, if you spend enough time trying to pick your way through a cliff band and glacier, you're 
probably going to find something that goes eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's kind of, that was our mindset and that's what we were trying to do. You know, at that point we were send a message out to family like, yeah, we're running really late, but we're okay. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, so we said we did end up sending that message out and then, and then we see that, and then we see the helicopter circling around and, and then obviously the helicopter sees us, um, cause they start circling closer and closer to us. I mean, obviously it is dark by this point and there are two headlamps on the cliffs of Mount Logan in the dark. And so from their perspective, <laughs> no matter who they're looking, no matter who they're looking for, those people with headlamps on the cliffs of Mount Logan in the dark are probably not where they want to be. (laughs) So then they circle over and they try to initiate contact with us through the, through their PA system, which did, we didn't hear anything of what they had to say other than that they could tell that they were trying to make contact with us at that point. And so it was at that point when we saw the helicopter, the helicopter saw us, I felt really strongly at that point that we needed to pull the SOS on the inReach as a means to initiate contact with the helicopter. Because I felt, again, obviously they saw us in a somewhat precarious situation. Again, I didn't feel in danger at this point, but we, but we weren't where we wanted to be either. Yeah. So my thoughts were, number one, they need to know who we are because they're they're obviously looking for somebody and we're not who they're looking for. So they need to know that. And they need to know that even though we're not necessarily where we want to be at this moment, we're not, we're not in imminent danger either. So, I mean, they don't need to like attempt a harrowing rescue at this point because we're not in danger. So for those reasons, I felt like we needed to initiate contact with the helicopter and the, and using the in reach SOS was the, was the way to do that. What was it like? I mean, I can't imagine you've had many experiences where you've been, you know, buzzed by a helicopter at night while on a mountain. Right. (laughs) Was your initial like concern that they, they were looking for you, that somebody had, had, jumped the gun on a call or were you just kind of confused? What was, what was that like? That was our first question is, are they looking for us? And then I think we put that to bed pretty quickly mm-hmm. because we just kind of talking through it that, yeah, we were late, but we weren't, we weren't super late and our families both knew that we were having big days. And so to be at that point was not out of the realm of, uh, of possibility. So we, we kind of put that to bed pretty quickly and like, no, they're, they're probably they're looking for somebody else, and so I think we we felt pretty confident in that that they weren't really looking for us. And I think too, given that it was night and we were on cliffs, and again, maybe not in mortal danger at this point, but again, not in a great position either. There was some, there certainly was some comfort in okay, they've got a ping. GPS location on us and they know who we are. So somebody in the search is in search and rescue knows we're here and knows what our situation is. I'm not going to sugarcoat that there wasn't some, uh, a great amount of security in that as well. Well, then just to fast forward, you made the contact, you sent out the messages, let them know you were okay. Obviously late and off route. You, the two of you did end up spending the night out having run with both of you, uh, 
I can't imagine you're a great cuddle partner. So I'm sure it was a cold, uncomfortable night of very little sleep. Bring us to that and then uh, the morning and, and getting out of the park. Yeah, you're right. So then as soon as, so then we go in contact with the helicopter via dispatch and the message came back through. Um, once they knew who we are, knew we were safe, they basically said, okay, you know, we've got your ping. We recommend that you hunker down for the night and we'll be in contact in the morning. Uh, let us know if your situation changes in the interim. So we thought we'd try for another hour or two to try and get down and get through. And because we still wanted to get out on, on our own power if we could without um, being unsafe. And so we tried a little bit and then uh, it was probably about two, uh, one o'clock in the morning at this point. And I'm just, and we're just like, okay, let's just go build a shelter, hunker down for a couple hours and see if we can look at this with fresh eyes in the daylight. Um, so we went back up to the ridge, tried to find a spot out of the wind, uh, built a little shelter and yeah, just tried to use each other's body heat, uh, <laughs> as best as we could. Although, like you said, we probably don't offer each other very much. I didn't feel in danger. I just felt miserable <laughs> <laughs> yeah so suffer fest to the limits right suffer, suffer suffer fest to the limits exactly uh we woke up and reluctantly started moving and said okay well let's 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 look at this let's see if we can figure this out tristan was trying to he was a little bit more motivated than i was he was trying to <laughs> to motivate me to to get moving and that that the best way to warm up was to move and and so he was, he was kind of motivating me along a little bit. We were moving probably 10, 15 minutes. And then a response came back that pretty much said, sit tight, uh, we're coming to get you. And shortly after receiving that message, it's probably less than a minute or two later from the message, we actually heard the chopper coming oh, wow. up overhead. Uh, coming up overhead. And, and at that point, we were just like, okay. Uh, the helicopter came up and just parked right on right on the level snowfield they didn't even kick anything up because it was all just consolidated snow and then they ushered us onto the helicopter and uh that's when we learned that they were looking for another party that uh that was late back from their reported uh target um over by dusty star what kind of takeaways do you have from this especially uh i believe you've got another you know 60 mile loop planned for this weekend i hear right yeah yeah although i'm staying on trail for that one well there you go (laughs) makes a difference that's a bit of a difference um it's not a lot of extra weight to throw in an emergency blanket um that's uh and i should probably practice carrying one because i it's mandatory carrying equipment for utmb anyways so i should uh so I should just throw that in, I should just throw that in my pack regardless. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest one. I mean, trying to make responsible decisions. And I think when you're, when, not to be too philosophical, but, but part of the adventure is trying to see how far you can push and, uh, and how long you can push big days. And I mean, I think that's part of the allure of it. And certainly you don't want to, and, and you want to do that under your own power, knowing that, okay, if something go, does go wrong, how can I have done this differently so that I'm not asking, you know, asking search and rescue to give of their time and, you know, and resources and, and things like that. I mean, to do it in a responsible way, that's not 
putting others at risk. So, I, I mean, I think obviously the gear choice was huge for us in trying to think about snow travel and trying to, uh, it would have been wise to take more gear uh, given the potential for snow exposure and, and things like that at the, at the cost of moving at absolute light speed. I mean, trying to have more appropriate gear. That lesson is obviously hammered home. I mean, we've all done days where we've had carried our snow tools for 30 or 40 miles and never touched them and, and, and kind of wish we hadn't carried them the whole way. You know, so we've had we so we've had those days, but then when you have that it's just that one day where you wish you had it, that mm-hmm. certainly affects that affects your perspective and your decision making in, in future in future ventures. I think the biggest thing that I reflect on as far as decision making is at what point would we have called for help if we had not been prompted to do so by seeing the helicopter? Yeah. That's I think the biggest thing that I'm not sure of that I can answer that right now. Um, one of the Rangers, when we got down, he basically asked us, do you, do you think you could have gotten down had we had the helicopter not pulled you off? And, and I think Tristan and I both said yes, that we could, but I think I was probably a little bit more hesitant in how that would have occurred. Mm-hmm. I think that would have potentially exposed us into some precarious situations that 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 may not have been that may not have been very safe to be in um and so uh, on on one hand you know i'm glad that we didn't have that because our hand was kind of went in that direction i'm glad that we didn't kind of have to make that that call at that point um because because i think it could have gotten a little bit dicey so, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I, the biggest part that I'm trying to kind of work through is, okay, when, what was my threshold? When would I have swallowed my pride and mm-hmm. called for the SOS um, versus allowing myself to be in a, in a dangerous situation? Well, it's definitely a lot to, to think about and a lot to unpack. But Pete, thanks so much for, for sharing all of that. Definitely a, a lot to learn, but also just a, a story of being thankful that you guys uh, made it all out in, in one piece and were able to, to pull all of that off. Thanks for asking and being interested. Uh, have a good time out this weekend. Uh, all right. Fun time on trail. <laughs> <laughs> on trail is the key. On trail is the key. All right. I appreciate Pete and Colton's willingness to share their stories of the backcountry, and hopefully something can be learned from that and we can continue to have more people make it home in one piece even when things go sideways. The tragic deaths of Brian Kennedy and Jack Beard have resonated throughout the Flathead Valley community, especially with those who hiked or climbed in the park with them. My colleague Tristan Scott wrote about them in the cover story of the Flathead Beacon this week, So if you haven't already, pick up a copy of the paper or go online and read his piece, The Last Mountain. As for news of the week, this is already a long podcast, so I will just offer the latest update on the Elmo fire that is burning southwest of Flathead Lake near Lake Mary Ronan as of 7 p.m. on Thursday night. Today, high winds and low humidity increased fire activity on the northern sections of the fire as expected. Crews positioned south of Lake Mary Ronan successfully limited fire growth as scooper planes dropped approximately 600,000 gallons of water to slow the fire approaching the lake from the ridge. 
crews were able to improve control lines and secure sections of the fire edge while preparing around structures. So far, the fire has burned more than 21,000 acres and has nearly 500 personnel assigned to it. There will be a community meeting at the Elmo Powwow Grounds at 7 p.m. on Friday. The Beacon will post an update tomorrow online as well as on Twitter throughout the day. That's all I've got for you today. As always, stay up to date on the latest local news online at flatheadbeacon.com. This podcast was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew, and music in this episode included songs by local Flathead Valley artist Mike Murray. That's the show. Thanks for listening.